Okay, before, uh, if I could have everybody that sort of turned away from the stage, just turn this way if you can. Um, we got to talk about one really important thing before we jump into Proverbs this morning, and I wanted to make sure everyone's attention is undivided. Um, this has been a really, really tough week. Uh, a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about, but I wanted to explain um, something that happened a while back. For those that may not know, and uh, um, one of our students, uh, Kevin Rogers, who's a senior here at Overflow, and he um, has been here every Wednesday, every Sunday for the last year and a half or two years or so. And uh, anyway, Kevin um, uh, got arrested this past Thursday, and this has been in the news. If you haven't seen the news, so this is not uh, hearsay. This is not gossip. This is this has actually happened. Um, but he was arrested this past Thursday, and I want to kind of explain the story a little bit, not go into details, but just kind of talk about what happened first, and then um, then get to what our response as a group needs to be after we talk about what happened. So, um, but he was arrested. Uh, what happened was um, he and a friend left work and they went uh, to go race in a in a place over east southeast of Temple, and um, and after they were. Uh, there's several variant stories there. I'm not going to get into details of what's what, but I don't know the facts. But at some point throughout their racing, um, the other guy he, that Kevin was racing against was uh, caused an accident. Kevin himself was not in the accident, um, but he's held legally responsible because he was also a participant in that. And so the other guy um, that was racing with him is uh, actually hit a car that had a family in that car and hit them head-on, going pretty fast. And um, as a result of the crash, the family that he hit, uh, everyone went to the hospital, and um, there was a six-month-old baby that um, died as a result of the crash. And um, there was a mom in her 20s that is the mother of that child, and uh, she's, she was in critical condition, but I've heard that she's been upgraded to fair condition. And so, obviously, I heard all this on Thursday evening, just heartbroken for the whole situation. Um, I don't hide my emotions well. And, um, and so, I have felt just this vacillating back and forth of emotion of feeling horrible for Kevin, that he obviously made a really, really dumb decision. There's no question about that. But it's the same kind of decision that many of us have made, but it's not resulted in something this horrible. And so that's one emotion that I feel just obviously felt anger at first, felt lots of emotions, felt heartbroken for Kevin as a result of this. So, um, so Kevin was arrested this past Thursday for that, and he's now in the, in the Bell County Jail. And, um, and so I had a chance to meet with his mom on Friday, and she's just trying to kind of hold it together, trying to figure out what to do next. So um, we're going to pray in a moment at our tables for them, for the families. But I want to explain a few things first. Um, and then Kevin, I, I went to go see him on Friday at, in jail, but I couldn't get in because I don't have the right identification card to get in. So I have to go get that made. Then I can go see him tomorrow. But um, obviously, he's just in real need for our prayers, our support right now in the midst of this. Um, there's just so many layers to the story that... that I think our church can be involved in, the victims' families, 
the other guy who was racing that's also still in the hospital. He's going to go to jail when he gets out of the hospital. Um, my prayer is that he comes to Christ through this. Um, and then, of course, there's Kevin, who we know really well. I mean, Kevin did impact the last two years. Uh, solid kid, just made a really, really dumb decision. And, um, and so I think for, as I'm thinking about how, what our response needs to be uh, towards this, first of all, I know that your, your reaction is going to be probably like mine was, a mixture of emotion, anger, why this happened, those kinds of questions, but also um, heartbroken for Kevin and his situation, knowing that we've all made dumb decisions as well that did not lead to something like this. And so we feel that mixture of emotion. But I also want to caution you that if you're someone who just really jumps to condemn or judge him, I want to remind you that, that, that our sin killed someone as well. And it was, it was Jesus. And so before, before we jump to, you know, how, how horrible that could you do such a thing? I mean, think, think about that, that, that our sin, our sin killed someone as well. And that's the part that I want us to rest on, that, that we, can't, we can't look at him and say, well, I'm better than that or I'm, I'm not like that. Because we're we're sinners too, right? And so, um, Kevin called me last night uh, from jail, and good conversation. Obviously, he can't say much about it uh, on the phone to me over over there phone line. So, um, we kept it pretty, just sort of surface level. But just want to let him know that we're praying for him. We are um, supporting him and trying to walk with him through this, and. And I'll be going to see him tomorrow. And um, so I want to make sure that he knew that this morning we'd pray for him especially. So um, if we could, what I want to do is, is just have uh, just like one person per table. Just volunteer yourself and just pray at your table. Pray for Kevin. Pray for the victims' uh, families. Uh, pray for um, Eric, the guy that's still in the hospital, the other guy that was in the accident. And, and pray for salvation for those that need to come to know Christ through this. And, uh, and pray that God would give us wisdom and grace to deal with, uh, with this whole situation. So you guys pray at your tables. One person just pray per table, and I'll go ahead and close this. We'll kind of wrap it up. But once they're done praying, don't start talking and stuff. Just kind of stand in silent prayer once everyone's done praying. Go ahead and pray at your tables. God, we know that you're sovereign. We know that we can trust you. We know that you're a God who uh, knows what you're doing. Uh, but God, we just also we pray for Kevin this morning. We pray, God, that um, that you would just help him to feel comforted uh, by our prayers. Help him to feel comforted by uh, the Holy Spirit, who is the great Comforter. Uh, we pray for um, just a peace of mind for him right now, knowing that you're in control, knowing that you're sovereign over his life. Um, God, we also just pray for uh, complete and total healing for the family that's the victim family. And um, God, we just pray that that somehow, some way, that in spite of the injustice of this whole thing, that they would somehow, if they don't already know you, somehow come to you in this suffering, God. And we pray that for this whole situation. Help us to be people who are vessels of grace and not 
uh, vessels of judgment and condemnation in the midst of this whole uh, story. And um, God, we just pray for uh, your grace, your wisdom, and your discernment as we try to navigate how to handle this and walk with uh, Kevin and his family and everyone else involved through this, God. God, I also pray for uh, just Kevin's friends in the room. I know they're hurting right now, and I pray for them to um, just cling to you in the middle of this time and and for them to uh, just glean a a lot of support from us as a church and us as a, a youth group, God. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So as, as you might imagine, it's really hard to transition from that to uh, Proverbs. Um, so if I seem a little bit just, I don't know, not energetic, you'll know why. I, mean, I just feel kind of just drained from this week as a result of this whole thing. And, uh, and, but here's the crazy part. Um, God is sovereign, and the key verse for today by God's sovereignty is trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And so we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3. Um, today. So turn there if you have your Bibles. And we've talked about Proverbs and how this whole book is based on one key verse, and that's in chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the basic idea behind Proverbs is that you can't just see wisdom as just advice. You can't just see it as intellectual knowledge. It is actually, it starts with fearing God. It starts with a real submission to Jesus. It starts with a submission to God. That's where wisdom begins. If, if you don't have a submission in your life to Jesus Christ, then everything else is just advice. Everything else is just knowledge. But if you're really going to apply knowledge, you've got to submit yourself to the God who gives wisdom. You've got to submit your life to the one who provides us wisdom. That's where the fear of God comes in. So the whole thing's based on this idea of fearing God. So chapter 1 tells us we should fear God and listen to wisdom. Chapter 2 answers the question that every teenager asks, and that's why. We discussed that last week. And last week we touched, we touched on some, some big ideas last week. We talked about how you've got to go get wisdom. Okay, You can't just, it doesn't magically happen. And we touched on this idea that in our culture today, especially in the culture that you and I are a part of, um, we're just really shallow a lot of the time, right? I include myself in this. Many of us are just really shallow in our walks with God. And we don't search after wisdom. We don't pursue people that are more wise than we are. We don't seek to learn from other people that are beyond in years. I mean, I was there as well in high school, thought I knew everything. Mom, dad couldn't tell me jack, right? And that's where we find ourselves in our youth, right? It, and that, and I, I can relate to that. But chapter 2 tells us why, why you should go get wisdom. And then Proverbs 3 kind of unpacks that a little bit more, and he's talking about uh, this idea of trust. So read with me in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3. Here's what it says. It says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years, and your life will be satisfying. 
Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. So we see at the beginning there's this idea that wisdom isn't something you just learn about or knowledge, head knowledge, but you actually take it into your soul. He uses words like, store my commands in your heart, tie them around your neck, write them deep within your heart. And what he's saying is that this is not something you just read about and say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to go apply that. But you actually take it into your being where it changes you. It changes your inner core, wisdom does, which begins with a fear of God, right? And so its truth completely changes who you are on the inside so that you live out of this new center, this new core, this new being, right? In verse 2, Uh, It says, if you do this, if you live wisely, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been someone that lived wisely, but they died an early death? Do you think? Somewhere in history, someone has lived a wise life, but they died an early death? But this verse says, if you do this, you live wisely, you will live many years, and your life will be satisfying. So how do we make sense of that? How do we make sense that this verse says, if you do this, you'll live many years? But you and I know people who have died early deaths, and they lived God-fearing, Christ-honoring lives. How can we make sense of that, that, that distinction? Here's what I want you to understand about Proverbs. We can't see the book of Proverbs like they are promises, okay? Proverbs are not the same thing as promises. When you read the Bible, there are certain things that are promises, and in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs are not promises, all right? So promise would be something like, when you become a Christian, God promises us that we get the Holy Spirit. That's true for every Christian, all time, all places. That's true all the time. There's no exceptions to that promise, But Proverbs are not always true. It's generally true. Now, you might might be saying, well, wait, you say the Bible's not true? That's not what I'm saying. Proverbs is meant to be taken not as a promise, but it's a proverb. It means it's generally true. Okay? You live wisely. You fear God. Generally speaking, things will go well for you. All right? But there are exceptions to that. And there are also people out there who live don't live God-fearing lives, don't honor God, don't honor Christ as a Messiah, and they get wealthy. They seem really successful, right? So there are exceptions to this. But so promises are always true. Proverbs are generally true. That's the difference. Now, this is really important because the reason why this matters is because if you read Proverbs and see it like a promise and things don't work out the way that you think they should, then you just get bitter at God, right? You just get bitter towards God because you feel like he hasn't lived up to this promise. It's not a promise. It's, it's a proverb, okay? And so look at verse 4. What all of this leads to is favor with both God and people. It says you will earn a good reputation. 
I want you to uh, put the next slide up. I want to show you a, a sort of a, a distinction here, okay? Um, I'd say probably like maybe the guys know who these guys are. Um, guy on the left, who's the guy on the left? Tebow. The guy on the right, who's that? Deshaun Jackson from the Eagles, all right? Now, Tim will love that I'm going to bash his, his Eagle player today, but um, I want to show you a difference here in just how this plays out in life, okay? Because here's the crazy thing. The guy on the left, everyone said about this guy a few months ago, he can't cut it in the NFL, he can't throw, he can't do this, he can't do that. That's Tim Tebow. But Tim Tebow is a God-fearing, Christ-honoring Christian. If you hear this guy interviewed, it's almost like if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be annoyed by him, right? Because he's always talking about Jesus. I mean, the thing called Tebowing, have you heard about this? Where whenever he does anything, he gets down and he does the whole, you know, like prayer and all that kind of stuff. And guys in the NFL are making fun of him for this now, okay? Uh, he got sacked against Detroit Lions, and the guys who sacked him, they did the Tebow thing, like right in front of Tebow, all right? Making fun of his faith on national TV. So that's Tim Tebow, and he's a guy that some way, somehow is pulling out these miraculous victories this year, and you just can't really, you're, you're, you're wondering, how's he, how's he doing this? But here's the deal, though. People respect him. People want to follow him. He's a leader. He fears God. He's a humble guy. So somehow, I think, I don't think, I'm not saying that God is like making the Broncos win this year. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I think sometimes when a guy has that part of their character and their wisdom, that God blesses that, right? I mean, this guy gets tons of endorsements because people respect the guy. He's a, he's a, he's a good character, wise guy, right? He lives wisely. Then on the right-hand side, we have Deshaun Jackson, Okay, this guy has all the talent in the world. I mean, he is fast. Like he, he lit up my Redskins last year for like two long distance touchdowns. Like they beat us like fifty nine to something. It was horrible, and he was the main one of the main guys in that game. He has all the talent in the world, but here's his problem: he's selfish. He's all about himself. He's all about what can I get out of this. And so what's happening with him now is that teammates are starting to see his selfishness, that he glorifies himself and everything that he does. And there's a good chance he may not get signed by that team next year because of his attitude. And so it's crazy to me that in a sport where we think that only talent matters, that talent is sometimes overrated, even in the NFL. That if you don't carry yourself with character, and wisdom, and putting God first, that things don't typically go well for you, even in the NFL sometimes. When you think, we think all that matters is talent, that's all that matters, right? No, wisdom, character, it matters. And you see it play out with certain people. There's a reason why a guy like Terrell Owens is not on an NFL team right now. It's character, it's wisdom. People don't respect him. But the people who have long careers are the ones that people respect. They've got a good reputation. I mean, which person would you want to go into a game with or a battle with? You want to go with the guy who's a humble leader, who's a wise leader, the guy that has character? That's the kind of person that you want to be in that situation with. And so 
if you lack character and wisdom, you will completely waste your talent. If, if you have talent, that's great. But if you lack character and wisdom, you'll totally waste your talent that God has given you. And so here's the thing, though. Many people in our culture today say things like, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to be an individual. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. And so we live in a culture where people downplay reputation like it's not a big deal. Like, who cares what people think, man? As long as you're true to yourself, as long as you follow your heart, that's what matters, right? And so with that thought in mind, go ahead and do your first four questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss questions one through four. Okay, look with me at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Go to the next next slide where it says verse 5. Okay, look at the screen. This is the verse that as I uh, thought about what happened this past week, I just thought it's amazing that God is giving us this verse this morning after what's happened this past week in Kevin's situation. Uh, Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. So today is really about trust. And when you think about trust, trust is more than just intellectual belief. Trust is more than just saying that you believe something to be true. Trust is this deep, personal reliance upon God. When I was in college, or when I finished college, I would say the few months after I finished college were probably the, the most difficult for me that I could remember. There were just several things that happened, like right in a row. And it was weird, though, because in that time of just lots of stuff happening in my life that I didn't really like, that it was in that moment that I felt like I had to trust God with everything, and I had to completely rely upon him. And it was, like, it was like tangible. It was like I could almost feel like that his presence in my life at that point. Because I had to. Because I had to rely upon him. And so trust is this deep, personal reliance upon God. It's not just knowledge. It's not just intellectual um, knowing. But here's the deal. We can't just learn wisdom and apply it. We have to trust him. Like there has to be this point in your life where you say, okay, I trust him personally. This is a personal relationship of trust. And the main thing that I think fights against you trusting God is your emotions. The main thing I think that fights against you really truly trusting God is your emotions. A guy said to me one time a long time ago, he said, your emotions are the biggest liar to you. The biggest liar you have to worry about are your emotions. More than any other person, your emotions are, what, are what's going to lie to you more than anything else. They're going to say things like, you can't trust God. And that's when you start to lean on your understanding. You start to act out of doing what you want to do and from what you understand about life, and you're leaning on yourself and not leaning and trusting in God. And so the idea of trust has to be built on this idea of relationship. Go to my next slide. I want you to see this quote. Relationships are built on trust, and trust is built on truth. 
Write this down into your brains. Relationships are built on trust. Trust is built on truth. My son Landon, who's four years old, he has just discovered lying recently. He has just discovered, oh, if I say what's not true, then I don't get into trouble. It's, it's weird watching a kid discover that that's actually possible in life. Because when they're really small, they're just like, I'm like, did you do that? Did you draw on that? And they're like, yeah. And then they get a spanking or whatever for it, and then they're like, oh, I don't like getting spankings. I think I may change my story next time. And so he's learned how to, like, manipulate things now. So we take deception in our family very, very seriously because I think that someone who's got a life built on lies, which starts very young in their life, that leads to all kinds of fractured and messed up relationships. So the other day, my wife goes into the bathroom and she sees that there's just the letter M written on the wall like four times. It goes up like four feet high. It's just like letter M, letter M, letter M. And she pulls Landon inside the bathroom and, and he says, she says, um, Landon, did you draw this? And he goes, he goes, no. And she goes, Landon, are you lying to me? He goes, no. He goes, she goes, are you, did you draw this? And he goes, I, I think Sienna did. If you don't know, Sienna's one. She can't draw anything. And he insists on, no, Sienna drew that, and, which is just funny. If I was there, I'd been laughing, just going, that's just a funny lie, right? That doesn't even make any sense. Like, he's not smart enough yet to know that that's a bad lie. That's not going to get him out of trouble because he doesn't know that that's not going to work. We're like, Landon, we're not stupid. Sienna can't draw anything, okay? So it's a bad lie to begin with. But there's this idea that we can't let him have the idea that he can deceive or lie to people. Because any relationship that's built on any kind of deception or lies is not one that you can trust that person, right? And so we're trying to, like, ground this out of him right now at this point of his life, early on, right? That relationships are always built on trust, and trust is built on the truth. So if you lie to me, that violates the trust, that violates the relationship. And so when it comes to God, this idea plays out. God, everything he says is truth because he is the truth. Everything he utters in his word is truth because he is truth. And so our relationship with him, we can trust him in that relationship with him because it's built on truth and not based on lies. And when you get that, when you understand that, you'll start to lean into him more and lean less into your own understanding. Look at verse uh, 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Basically what he's saying is, if you look at yourself and you're impressed with yourself, then people are not going to be impressed with you. No one's impressed with someone who's impressed with themselves, right? That's just across the board. Even the atheist who doesn't believe in God still thinks lowly of prideful people in a really ironic way. Even the atheist knows that someone else is supposed to get the credit for what we do. It shouldn't be us, which is kind of funny because I'm like, that, that person's God. That person's God. But y'all don't believe in God, right? 
And so even the atheist, atheist knows that, that pride is, is not a good thing. So no one likes the person who's impressed with themselves. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good grape juice. Is what that verse says. No, it's not a lie, because it says wine up there, so you know the truth, see? No, I, I, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So it's, gener- it's generally true, not always true, right? So, but here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. At the end part there, he talks about giving. You're like, why is he talking about giving? We're talking about trusting God, now he's talking about giving, right? What's the connection here? Here's the connection. Think about this. Whenever you and I don't give generously, it's usually because of a lack of trust, right? Whenever you and I don't give out of what God has given us, it's usually because we don't trust God to provide for us, right? We hang on to things because we're living in fear. We're hanging on to stuff because we we think that, well, God's not going to provide, so I'm going to hang on to this myself and take care of it myself. That's leaning into your own understanding. I'll admit to you that my, my personality, I am not generally a very giving person when it comes to money. I'm just not. I'm one of those, like, I want to keep it. I want to save it. I want to see my bank account grow. That's me. Okay? And so it's good that I have a wife who's not so much like that. She's more of a giver than I am in that regard. Like, she wants to get people gifts and stuff, and I'm just like, let's, let's just not do that. That's just not, that's not good. Let's just not spend money on people, you know? And so she balances me out in that. But the problem, though, is what I've come to realize is that whenever, whenever I start to feel stingy like that, I realize it's because I'm not trusting God. It's a lack of trust that's leading me to be stingy with money. And so this is the connection with, with giving. And if, if you give, God's going to, you can't outgive God. You're not going to lack because you gave. God's going to provide for you. Look at verse um, 11, and this wraps it up. He says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Once again, I couldn't help but read that verse and think about Kevin's situation that he's in, and this is a corrective thing for him. But it's not just a corrective thing for him, it's a corrective thing for us. Because I know, like I said before, that we make dumb decisions as well. But here's what happens. When you get in trouble with something like that, and there's a correction involved, that's God's grace. It feels like his judgment, but it's his grace. It's his grace to us that he allows us to go through some suffering so that we can be corrected. You see, some of you guys in the room, you see, you see this kind of stuff only as punishment. You don't see it as God correcting you. you. You get angry at God when you suffer. And God allows suffering sometimes because for discipline, not just for punishment. And so um, what I want you to do is uh, we're going to wrap up here real quick because I want to make sure we have time for these families to come in here. So discuss questions five through eight at your tables. And um, what I want you to do is when you're finished, 
pray for your tables. Also pray for Kevin once again and for his situation. And if you're someone who's going to be staying after to help out with the, with the meal, um, if everyone can, can kind of clear the tables off whenever we're done with the, uh, you guys praying for your tables, that would be a big, big help. So go ahead and pray, and, uh, or go ahead and discuss and pray. Thanks.